0: Welcome to Midcast, a podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Hello, everyone. I'm Joe. I'm neither Verestins nor Bert.
1: Now, a permanent Linux user, Nishant.
0: And coming to you live on my new system, this is Bill. And the return of Moss. This is episode 378.5, recorded on Sunday, the 9th of January. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube, post at the Mintcast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. And then in our inner section, we're discussing our alternatives to mint. If we have to pick, absolutely have to pick an alternative to mint, what's our choices? If it just goes away. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. Okay, so the Linux end this time a little bit different. Um, we're supposing our main distro and what our backups would be if our main distro went away. A couple of other rules involved, but let's not get too far into it. Norbert?
2: Yeah, so the idea was that uh, you take your distro, your daily driver that you use the most, and uh, come up with what you would move to if it just went away. It would stop being developed and then do the same thing with the next distro and then have a list where you have distros in order of preference, the order in which you would move to them if the first one or the second one was to go away. It was surprisingly hard for me to choose the first one because if I look back to my past year, I think I spent about the same time on Void and Arch, but if I just think about my desktop, then I spent the most time by far on Void Linux on this one. And I'm currently driving Void, but in the past two months, uh, I, think I, I think I've used Arch and Void probably equally. But I went with Void, because I eventually moved back to Void. I still keep my Archie installation, because I like to have two distros at the same time, so if something was to happen to one of them, I have a backup system. And I do recommend this to people who like to tinker with or even distro help a lot. Always have two installations. I also like Void because I like building my own system, since it makes it feel more personal it gives you a bit more satisfaction when you install a base system and you install your window manager desktop environment of choice which for me is xfce and void also plays surprisingly well with nvidia it doesn't have the very latest nvidia drivers which would be 495 right now but it's up to date on the stable branch which is currently 470 and i haven't really had any graphics related issues on this system I also really appreciate how it is an Anchorsys-based installer, similar to Debian and Slackware, which I really like. I prefer it over either a graphical installer or a fully command line-based installer. And I do respect how it gives me the choice to not install Grub as a bootloader, because I already have refined on my system, and because of that I wouldn't really need Grub anyway. And even though the repos are way smaller than the Arch's repos, and I'm not talking about the UI, I'm talking about the base Arch repos, which I think are around 14,000 packages, Void only has around 8000 packages, but interestingly it has almost everything I need, and even stuff that isn't in either the Arch or Debian repos like Ulauncher. And since I moved from Brave to Firefox, I pretty much have all the packages natively in the Void repos that I need. Originally part of the reason why I switched to Void was an experiment, because I wanted to see if I could really drive a lesser known distro that doesn't have as much support as Arch, and I decided to stick with it until I bump into a problem that forces me to go back to Arch. And I managed to suck with it for more than half a year. Well, I do have Arch in dual boot for some stuff, but I would say for 90% of the things I want to do, Void is perfect. And I really like its minimalistic approach and philosophy. But if Void was to go away, I would probably just stick with Arch, because it's another distro that I had very good experience in terms of stability on Nvidia, and it even has the very latest Nvidia drivers in the repo that is more up to date than Void. It also has a large community, so it has great support and resources. But if both Void and Arch would go away, I would probably try to move to Fedora, because because Fedora also has the latest NVIDIA drivers. That's pretty much the main aspect that I was looking for, having the latest NVIDIA drivers, which made my choice of distros for this uh, topic kind of limited, but it also did make it easier to choose. So Fedora is not fully rolling, but it still has very up-to-date packages. I kind of like the concept of a semi-rolling distro. It's similar to Debian Testing, which is also semi-rolling, but Debian Testing has a new major release every two years, and Fedora has it every six months. I don't think I really have a preference between rolling release distros and semi-rolling distros, because I've tried to set up my install scripts in a way that it doesn't take a lot of extra work and extra effort to reinstall a system. Another aspect of Fedora that really appears to me is the fact that they have a focus on Wayland, and Fedora does have a really good Wayland implementation. And I'm already using Fedora on my tablet because of how Wayland really works well with, uh, with touch screens. So while I haven't really with Fedora at all so far, I've gotten pretty familiar with it, and the repos are also fairly large, around 20,000 packages, maybe 24. But if Fedora was to go away, in fourth place on my list I was trying to decide between Pop!_OS and openSUSE Tumbleweed because both of them have the latest Nvidia drivers even though Pop!_OS is based on Ubuntu they started maintaining their own versions of the kernel and the Nvidia drivers it seems like Pop!_OS is a distro that is most focused on Nvidia stability I do have openSUSE Tumbleweed in the fifth spot because it is very similar to Fedora but it's a rolling release but also a tested rolling release distro I tried it for a couple of weeks I really liked it their package management system takes some getting used to and their package availability is not as good as Fedora's, but I do like some of the software and uh, defaults that are specific to Tumbleweed, for example, their installer and the YAS utilities. And that's my list. So, Moss,
3: how about you? Hi, my name is Moss and I'm a distro hopper. This means I get a lot of experience with a lot of distros. What I use the most are Bodhi and Mint Mate. So if one went down, I'd just use the other. I tried using just about everything, though. If Ubuntu were to go away, that would take Mint and Mate, uh, Mint and Bodhi with it. But LMDE and Bodhi 32-bit are both based on Debian, and it would take a lot for Debian to go down.
2: I think if Ubuntu went away, then Bodhi 64-bit would
3: probably just rebase on Debian as well. Probably, since they know how to do it on the 32-bit. But as you'll hear on the next DistroHopper's Digest, I've found that Arco Linux Mate is just about as comfortable as Mint. I'm really liking it. I am not having any problems. It's a slightly different way of running, but uh Pamac is very comfortable and Lastly, I do not understand why so many people like Fedora. That would be the absolute last distro I would use regularly. I avoided it for many, many years, and then Josh Hawk sent me a a two-in-one tablet by Dell that uh, had Fedora on it, and I took it off two or three times before I decided to just leave it off. Uh, (laughs) Was it running GNOME? Yeah. Yep, yep. You should try their XFC spin. Well, I really don't care for XFCE, but I haven't tried the more current versions of it. Um, I think the la- the last time I used XFCE was on MX 19, and it was pretty ugly then. But then they did an upgrade of uh, XFCE, and I haven't used anything that used that upgrade since.
2: It's still kind of ugly, but if you put a nice GTK theme on it,
3: it can do wonders. Well, everyone seems to want to move away from GTK, so I don't know about that. Anyhow, oh, okay, sorry. So I I just looked it up. There is a Mate
2: Compis spin of Fedora, which you could check out.
3: Yeah, I've tried some of the community spins, and they didn't always load. I I don't know. Um, I've had the same problem with Manjaro. The community spins don't load the way that the. Uh, regular spins do anyhow i'm all done let's let's let joe talk to us about his stuff
0: this one was actually uh pretty hard for me to pick stuff because i'm not much of a distro hopper these days i mostly just you know stick with mint and um well so if you've been following the show you'll know this is all stuff that i've used while on the show because i know these I picked them now my first pick after mint is fedora it's uh still easy to use and has all the documentation i could probably want uh lots of people have done write-ups on on all the things you could possibly want to do with fedora and that's one of the reasons that i like it um generally i'm i'm not that big of a, a gnome fan but um, I, I found it usable when I was using it, and yes, I would have to change my workflow a little bit, but uh, I found that with Fedora, I don't really so much mind. Um, my next pick would be MX. It's a lightweight Debian based, and it's not as easy to use, in my opinion, as some of the other ones. It does offer a 32 bit version, which is really good for older devices. And that is where I have my experience with MX is a couple of 32 bit machines that, um, I w- was able to set up and, and use really well, um, After MX, uh, my next choice is probably going to be Garuda because of customizability. Um, it's a rolling release, uh, makes application installation very easy for, you know, an arch and has a healthy amount of desktop choices right out of the box. And it's real easy to switch between them to install another one or basically anything using that, um, the pop-up that um, is there right at the beginning. Um, Very similar to Endeavor OS. It's a lightweight arch, extremely lightweight arch, but the welcome app makes it very usable and easy to set up. And now both of those... I've used because, you know, we were doing a review on them on the Mintcast just to see how they work. And both of those I've installed on my uh, tablets and enjoyed them quite a lot. Now, my next choice was uh, going to be um, Pin guy. But evidently, PinGuy hasn't gotten an update in like three years, which tells you how long it's been since I last used Pin Guy. So then I have to go way back to Kubuntu. Um, it, it's basically the heavyweight of my choices. Um, it, 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 it can be fun to use, and it does look great. Um, <clears throat> a, a very little tweaking needed to get it set up the way that I want. And it's also kind of, you know where i started in in linux um i, I started out in kubuntu now uh, kde plasma is very very different than when i first started with uh kubuntu but um i still like it and yeah that would be my final choice and that did not take me long to get through at all
1: Guess guess uh, joe we both started on ubuntu in our linux careers i think
0: yeah a lot of people tend to start with um an ubuntu flavor of some kind just because you know if you do a search for linux i think ubuntu comes up at the top of the list
1: i had the um, lts 14.04 and it used to run unity i think at that point of time or some other desktop
0: oof i think
3: i yeah, it did have Unity. It, it went uh, full-time Unity in 1204, which is when I stopped using it for that reason. It wouldn't Unity wouldn't run on the machine I had.
0: I think I was installing Kubuntu in, I don't know, like 2010? Oh, that's old. Ago. Yeah.
1: That's old. And uh, I would definitely love to go, go back to Kubuntu just because of the Plasma implementation, nothing else.
0: Yeah, well, it was before Plasma. But one of the reasons that I like um, Kubuntu, and I've gone back to it a couple of times, is um, KDE Connect works better in Kubuntu than it does in any other distro. You get the full functionality out of KDE Connect.
1: It is made for KDE Plasma, I believe.
0: Exactly.
4: It's made by the KDE people.
1: Yeah. Uh, so my current daily driver starting from today is Linux Mint Cinnamon. Uh, it is a great stable desktop distribution, which I enjoy using it. Before I was a little bit scared to come on Linux Mint because I thought it wouldn't work well, but after replacing a kernel or two, it works great with the AMD hardware which I have giving me about four to five hours in Nvidia performance mode and in power saving mode about six to seven hours of battery life.
2: That's real impressive. What what kernels are you using it? What kernel are you using it, on it?
1: Right now I'm using the generic five point one three kernel which gives me about four to five hours on Nvidia performance. The one which comes with the edge version of linux mint cinnamon 5.13 l 5.13 kernel and uh, the second choice in the list is ubuntu with Mate desktop environment again the same uh, picture as with linux mint cinnamon great battery life um, on both power saving and NVIDIA performance in Ubuntu Mate, it has TLP enabled by default, inbuilt.
2: And Ubuntu Mate also has some more specific uh, battery improvements. Yeah. yeah. Um
1: What
2: about the What about Mint Mate?
1: I haven't tried Mint Mate. Mint Mate won't have all these enabled by default. Basically, just the desktop environment, I think. Ubuntu MATE, from what I have experienced, it has already enabled by default. Okay, so third on the list is Arch Linux. If I ever wanted, if Ubuntu and Mint ever went down. And then Arch would be my third choice to help me customize the system. very flexibility in installing the system. That's about it for Arch. And uh, coming to the fourth one, it's Fedora because uh, it they still have very recent software including the GNOME desktop environment and not only GNOME but the other spins also. Like if you install the KDE desktop environment from the repositories, it will always be the latest version which in case right now Fedora is running the 25th anniversary edition of Plasma 5.25. If you install the desktop environment from uh, the repositories and the NVIDIA drivers and kernels also are updated in their respective repositories and Popper is same reason as Norbert is for the latest NVIDIA drivers and uh, the cosmic desktop environment so that's my list
4: On to me, then. So, again, for me, this is kind of difficult for a different reason, just because I've got different uses for the different machines that I run. I've got one I take on the road with me, and that's got to run as lightweight. Not only just lightweight as possible, but use the least amount of bandwidth, because I do utilize some, well, I... I tether it to my phone to get the internet and then i uh wire guard back to the back to the home server back here behind me and then that goes off to pie hole to block all of my ads and other malicious stuff um so for for laptops and things you know it's it's got to be arch and then for this downstairs big system that i'm on here now with it's got to be uh mint just so that I'm <clears throat> just so that I know what I'm on about. And the thing about Arch uh when I when I decided I wanted to move on to a uh more advanced file system to take advantage of snapshotting and uh oh using the uh, sub volumes and all that. At the time the only distro that was doing that was uh open SUSE and i wasn't real sure that i wanted to switch to an rpm based distro so i learned how the whole thing worked and uh the at the time the only other way to get something installed with with uh, butterfs subvolumes was to use arch and set it all up yourself so that's what kind of led me down that road and with arch you do have Nearly one hundred percent control of your system. You can you can drop in, replace any subsystem you want with anything else that you want, and you have a reasonable expectation if you if you've done your diligence and you've learned this thing properly that and then you you can get it to work. You know, um, and that's been my experience. You know the the community around it. Eh, it it is what it is. You know they. They've got an expectation that people that come and use Arch are competent um, users of Linux. They won't come out and say it, but it's quite obvious from the beginning that they really don't want beginners in their ecosystem.
2: I I don't think that's 100% true because part of it is that the Arch wiki is a really good resource. And oftentimes they... And oftentimes they don't turn beginners away, but just strongly suggest them. But just strongly suggest to them to read the wiki. It comes that it comes off as not wanting to help, but maybe some, But maybe sometimes it's just that they want them to learn to rely on documentation, because if there's good documentation, that it's pro- then it's probably going to be way faster to fix something than asking for help
4: i think if you don't have the people skills necessary to convey the fact that hey go check out this wiki and if you have if you don't understand something about it come back and you know because not everybody speaks the language that is spoken on these wikis they don't always know exactly what yeah i could talk all day about this but uh (laughs) They, you know, a lot of times you're really, really treated like you are somewhere you don't belong. You know, what are you doing here anyway? Uh, Did you look in the, well, yeah, I looked in the wiki. I didn't really understand, you know, and then you kind of get treated like you don't belong there. And I'm not, you know, and that's coming from somebody that's been using Arch for almost 20 years. And. Right.
3: Any time a new user is told RTFM, they don't feel welcome. And, I, and that's, that's that's a simple?
4: thing, you know, and you really, and the minute you start treating people that way, you, especially if they're new to Linux, period, you're going to turn them off the to the entire, to the entire thing, and that's not going to help anybody.
2: I remember very well the first and only time I was told to RTFM, but by my Debian user friend, and he did have a point because I was asking too much. But what's interesting is, I've only briefly looked uh, through the installation pages of the Gentoo wiki, but like I said previously, it went into some very basic details as well. And I think the Gentoo wiki is so well worded that someone who is uh, maybe a, a developer on Windows, has never used Linux, but is uh, text savvy enough, they could very well install Gentoo as their first distro because of the good documentation and the wiki.
4: And interestingly enough, That the difference between Arch and Ubuntu in terms of its advanced usership is huge, but the difference between Gentoo and Arch is even bigger, honestly, because Gentoo's claim to fame is being able to compile your own kernel for crying out loud. So not
2: only that, but decide what to include and not include in the kernel or anything.
4: So, and you know, just that that concept alone makes it even more. But given. Even given how much more advanced that distribution is, you don't get near the elite sort of attitude that you will on the Arch Wiki. But anyway, that's enough pounding on those poor people. Those poor, poor people.
2: Speaking of Gen 2.
4: Gen 2. Um, so yeah, if I couldn't get Arch, I suppose I would try to move on to Gen 2 just to see if it was worth... It. Gentoo to me has always been kind of interesting, a little bit confusing just because I never have understood. So the the whole concept with Gentoo is that you can basically whittle this thing down to something that has absolutely nothing more and nothing less than you absolutely need and that's including the kernel which is going to save you in terms of disk space and um and, and like uh other types of real estate on your on your machine and that really makes sense if you're gonna put it on a machine that has limited resources. But on the other hand, if you put it on a machine that has limited resources, it's gonna take a week to run the updates and even longer, perhaps, just to get it installed. So what uh, what (laughs) it's kind of difficult to uh, understand where the advantage is there, you know.
2: Maybe it comes down to the philosophy of when you use a computer, you're not using the operating system, you use other software on your operating system. So the operating system should get out of your way. And maybe it's an extreme form of that, having the operating system really get out of your way by not having a bunch of things that you don't use. It's like if you have a software that you use often that maybe does 10 things and you only use eight of them, then someone might want to compile it in a way that it wouldn't include that extra two, one, two, maybe not, uh, to not include that extra two features
4: it's a it's yeah that's interesting i i think though academically that might be that might be the case but we go we go the community comes out here and makes podcasts about distributions and the desktops and our experience with the operating system in and of itself you know we enjoy these things seem to be even even today even more interesting to us you know i think I, i think when it comes down to it's just an absolute control over your system, you know, and a lot of people that use Gentoo are I think some of them are there because they can choose system RC over system D or or uh anything else they want, you know, just a drop in replacement. You can do that with Arch too, but it's not near it's not nearly as drop in as it is on Gentoo. Um in fact most of the Arch Wiki assumes that you're running systemd and that that seems to be a big deal
2: i think debian is another distro but it's easy to uh, switch from systemd to something else yeah
4: all right so any anyway li- moving on if i couldn't get either of those one distro that used to be kind of interesting to me was called linux Lite, and it was kind of i think it was based on Zubuntu, and it was it was a really nice implementation of xfce and uh uh I would probably, I, I, I put Linux Lite here, but that was really more of a placeholder because I think I would just kind of bounce around between some of the mid tier distros that, uh, rely on Ubuntu or, or Debian just because of the availability of software and how easily I can get, uh, if it, if it's based on Ubuntu, then I can get in trees ZFS support. Which is, which is kind of important for the servers that I run and things like that. And the snap ecosystem. Now, you know, you can run snaps on just about anything if you follow the instructions correctly. But, uh, I, I always appreciate when things just run kind of well out of the box. Um,
3: I think, uh, that's, that's interesting because a lot of people are getting more and more not happy with snaps and ubuntu is even totally revamping the snap system right now but that's them taking action on it though right
4: that's that's them recognizing that you know somebody might be having a problem with uh with their ecosystem and their and them responding to it
3: i'm not you know if i can't find a flat pack i don't use it it's that simple (laughs) it's either a deb a flat pack or nothing i i am
4: kind of in that order although i i use that nextcloud snap for my uh, this is running the server is running uh 2110 ubuntu and that snap is running my uh nextcloud instance and it literally takes care of all of the stuff that i don't want to with the uh apache server and the mysql and keeping my ssl certificates up to date that's all handled you know by the snap team and they do a lot of work on that stuff and i appreciate that now there's other ways of installing nextcloud with docker images and all that but you you still have to add certain components to that on top to get that running so there there is some of the snaps that aren't directly officially supported by the snap crafters you know they might work they might not i don't know but my my experience has been somewhat positive
2: to quote a random comment that i've read on reddit snaps for the server flatpaks for the desktop
4: and it, you almost feel like that's how it was originally intended and then they kind of decided well hey we can use this to install er- other stuff too and then
2: mm, i'm pretty sure it was but because yeah. the backend of snaps is proprietary isn't SnapCraft the only place you can get snaps from because you mentioned uh, unofficial snaps.
4: You can make another snap store. It's just nobody's ever done it
3: because I don't think... System76 has done it. Ah. Why? Because they didn't like the fact that the backend was proprietary. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Why would (laughs) System76 go to snaps?
2: Uh, I don't think it's for PopOS. I'm not sure because PopOS doesn't have snaps at all.
4: I don't know anything about it, but I I think the reason somebody might, yeah, would be because they don't like it to be proprietary. But what's the difference between it being proprietary or being like the GNOME project where, yeah, it's open source, but we're not accepting any contributions from anybody whatsoever?
3: I will point out that I hear things and connect things and they're not always right, but that's just what popped into my head. Okay. It might not be System76, but I did hear about somebody. So, anyway,
4: if I couldn't get any of those, I would try OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Now, OpenSUSE was, like I've said before, they were one of the pioneers in the uh, ButterFS world. They were probably, as far as I'm aware, they were the first distribution to start using ButterFS on their root file system by default. Uh, If you just ran the installer... In it with all of its default settings, it would use ButterFS and it would create subvolumes for var and uh, I think they created one for var and one for home.
2: I think they create almost like eight, eight or ten subvolumes, so yeah, which is it's useful
4: five, if you're gonna if you're gonna do sub if you're gonna do a lot of snapshotting. You you want separate subvolumes because you don't want to snapshot your var uh, subvolume because that thing is constantly changing. Uh, with all of the logs and everything like that. Um, anyway, but that was kind of they've got a really really nice plasma I- implementation, which kind of impressed me. And and I always appreciate distributions that are kind of on the forefront of some of the uh, more interesting developments, like PipeWire and uh, and uh, Wayland and that. Which you know, I, I suppose I could have I could have dropped in Fedora. To replace OpenSuSE tumbleweed, it just so OpenSuSE seems to be. I had to pick one, so I chose that one just because they were kind of they were out there first with o- with the uh, butter FS.
2: SuSE is also one of the oldest companies uh, developing ISOs, right?
4: Yeah, they were the f- first like printed matter I'd ever seen like in a department sto- well, an store, an electronic store. Because uh, I was with a friend and he bought this Sousa. It was just Sousa in those days. There wasn't this. There wasn't this delineation between their um, desktop offering and their enterprise offering. It, it was just Sousa, and they they used to release uh, these sets, this box set that had the either two DVDs or like five CDs, and then it came with an actual printed book, and it was a really well printed thing, and I I think it cost like $35 or something like that, but I remember that was like one of the few distributions that was selling a usable something or other in the store that you could go and buy and install on your system, and it blew me away that my friend installed it on his machine, then he said, here, you got to try this, and, uh, you know, I'm used to Windows, you know, telling you that's a big no-no, that you can't install that on one machine and then go and install it on another. And, uh, and so I remember trying that. I couldn't make much use of it in those days, but it was interesting that I do remember. That w- That had to be like 2001, 2002. But uh, anyway, moving on, if I couldn't get any of those things, that will have meant that the entire Linux world would have imploded. And uh, if I...
2: Uh, well, that would be Fedora. Uh
4: okay so yeah if well let's let's assume I can't get any of that stuff um, I would move before I go to Windows for anything that I didn't absolutely have to go on to Windows for I would probably move on to BSD I don't think I don't think there's any way anything on earth that would make BSD go away um, and I would probably I, I, they seem to have what I wrote down as austere goals and they they really do they just they just have. Instead of having these millions of ways of doing things like you're used to seeing on Linux, you know, they, they kind of have a, uh, once we figure this out, that's, we got it figured out, and let's not reinvent the wheel every time. That's that's me as a 300-foot observer, you know, but uh, I think I would probably give that a try before I went on back to Windows, but that's also coming from somebody that has three machines with Windows 11 installed on it, so... Take that, however you will,
2: but yeah, that's that's it for mine. I have a couple of honorable mentions because I did say that I tried Fedora but couldn't really use it on NVIDIA on my desktop, but for my tablet, for instance. But I want to use something with good touchscreen support, which is GNOME, and Fedora has the best GNOME implementation. So I tried uh, several stuff like uh, Debian and OpenSUSE, but I ended up sticking with Fedora because I'm also interested in the latest GNOME development. So, for example on my tablet, I'm absolutely sure that I will be sticking with Fedora for the foreseeable future. And uh, I didn't include Debian in my list because I wouldn't really, wouldn't have any reason to use it either on my tablet and my desktop, but Debian is quite really good for either Debian or Ubuntu for work and university stuff, especially with niche stuff like uh, programs used for like scientific research which uh, seem to be maintaining both of those distros, some of which I have used on my laptop. So that's why I'm using Debian on my laptop.
1: Okay, may I add one more distribution to it? Absolutely. Sure. Maybe I'll go with Kubuntu, if Andre mentioned to Kubuntu because it's Mm -hmm. one of the finest KDE Plasma implementations.
2: Can any of you elaborate on on what you mean by... uh, either Kubuntu or OpenSUSE or, open or through having the best KD implementation. Because I've tried both Kubuntu and Tumbleweed and I've asked people online. Uh, it
1: means that it is fast, smooth, does not lag on my system at least, responsive on the click and everything. So mainly the improvements which I have seen from previous Plasma desktop environment versions.
3: Well, I have used a lot of KDE implementations. My two favorites are OpenMandriva and FaranOS, OS. And I think Farron has the most logical, sane uh defaults. Admittedly,
4: it's it's usually just about things that you could probably go in and change yourself, for me anyway, but still do I want to install something and then go in and change a bunch of stuff just to make it look... I, I suppose that's part of the Linux journey, but...
1: Uh, Bill, I'm not talking about customization at all, but okay, if you want to.
4: Well, no, I, I mean, that's that was my reason, what I meant by the best impl- implementation.
0: I am going to have to agree with uh, Norbert on Fedora, because, yeah, on, on my... Um tablets with the touch screen. it is really nice sometimes having GNOME on there.
2: Mm-hmm. One pro tip, if anyone wants to use uh, Fedora or something with GNOME on low-end hardware, for example my tablet has 4 gigs of RAM and I wanted to minimize RAM usage. What I did is I didn't install Fedora Workstation, I installed via the everything that installer a minimal Fedora system, only CLI, and then I did sudo dnf install gnome shell and that pulled the bare minimum dependencies for gnome shell which are even really well put together on fedora because it also puts things like uh, pipefire and if you install three packages gnome shell nautilus and gnome terminal you are pretty you pretty much have a completely working minimal gnome system and RAM usage on boot is around 500 megabytes I think ever since GNOME 40 came out, RAM usage has improved significantly on GNOME. It's still heavy, but not nearly as heavy as like five years ago or 10 years ago, especially.
4: I notice when you undo all, when you take all of the extensions out, it runs a lot lighter too.
0: Okay, moving on to vibrations from the ether.
3: Hey, Henrik Hemron. Comment, hi. your are today. The format of more free discussion worked well, but also the traditional way works well. I believe the free discussion requires more attention so all hosts have their voice and that you really listen to each other. Good this time. Tony Hughes, it has been a pleasure to listen to you. Your Linux knowledge and views, your bread baking and so on, your British view and accent. If you return welcome. Elson, in any case, thanks for this period. Best wishes.
1: which Tony Hughes?
3: There is only one Tony Hughes.
1: Our Tony Hughes?
3: Yeah, it it wasn't
2: uh it wasn't an email by him, it was an email from Henry who mentioned Tony.
1: Oh okay. sleep?
4: I have to admit, I had to uh, kind of, I didn't get confused, but I thought Read the show notes, people <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Sorry, Moss
2: <laughs> RTFM, man <laughs> First time I looked at the email, I had, I had three thoughts. It's either Henrik mentioning Tony, or it's Tony writing an email, or it's Tony replying to Henrik
4: Yes, I had to think it out I had to think it out, Moss Maybe if Moss would have, like corrected the the grammar on it
3: oh wait he did (laughs) okay ml easling writes and until i say otherwise this is from ml easling (laughs) love the podcast been listening since 200x listen to your latest podcast number 376 joe do you copy you spoke of issues with your touchpad I'm using a Lenovo Yoga 6 AMD 5700 CPU, 16GB RAM, and touchscreen. Chromebooks have spoiled me to touchscreen. I wanted a rolling release. I hate Nuke and Pave. Tried many, but all had issues with the Realtek Wi-Fi card. That is, except PC Linux OS. Only issue with that distro is they don't support touchscreen. Eventually, after much trial and error, I came to settle on seduction out of Germany with Cinnamon D.E., despite my having used Linux Mint Debian Edition 2 with Matei desktop for years on an old Intel 8600 CPU with 8GB of RAM PC, and now using LMDE4 on an older AMD Athlon dual-core with 8GB of RAM and Cinnamon DE, seeing as how they've negated Mate, But it won't work on my laptop because it supports UAFI. Long story short, I replaced the Realtek Wi-Fi with an Intel one, Seduction supports UEFI, touchscreen, hybrid sleep, touchpad, and maybe even more importantly, tablet mode 2-in-1. FYI, I've been using Linux on bare metal since 2006. Prior to that, I used it in a VM on Windows XP, and prior to that I tried BOS, BSD386 back in the 286-386 era, GhostBSD, Solaris, and many, many others. Always came back to Debian-based Linuxes over Slackware, Gentoo, although it's great as Chromebook OS, or even Arch. Keep up the good work, and oh yeah, much prefer you as host. Your voice is much more suited to it than the previous host, but that's just my opinion. Mm. Yikes. Previous host
0: would like a word word with you.
3: (laughs) How could somebody not like Leo? Come on now.
0: Well, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. But um, no, I haven't heard of Seduction um, OS out, out out of Germany, and it does have cinnamon. So you know, I might give that a try and see how well it works on a tablet.
2: It's basically Debian seed, so Debian unstable, but with uh, more user friendly, like training wheels, if you will.
1: Oh, they used to have a Gnome version also before they discontinued it.
2: Because Debian Unstable itself is similar to Arch in the sense that sometimes it requires manual intervention, I think, when you update something. And Siduction is supposed to take care of that for you.
0: Okay.
4: I'm on their website here.
2: I like the look of it.
0: Yeah, I brought it up in a, in a search, but I haven't looked at it yet because I'm, I'm busy doing this hosting thing.
2: I actually went to it and installed uh, Enlightenment zero point uh, twenty five while I was listening to Bill talk about uh, Bill and most talk about body. It's interesting, but it's really different from everything. Yeah, you got to learn some things over again, but it's it's so fast. But because previously I tried it on a distro that had. Bit pre-configured. I think I installed OpenSUSE with uh, in, it has Enlightenment in the installer, but now I just installed Enlightenment on top of Arch, so it was pre it was unconfigured. So maybe that's why it was a bit weird for you to use for me.
0: Okay, and moving on to check this out. All right, who put this in? I'm the culprit. Norbert. It's all you. Hydra Paper, tell us about it.
2: Well, it's not a Gnome extension, but it is for Gnome. Gnome itself doesn't support different wallpapers on multiple displays, which is interesting because this is the only DE that I've used that has this feature missing. What Hydra Paper does is it basically lets you uh, set uh, different wallpapers for your multiple displays, And that's it. It's just something I wanted to put out there if someone wants to have this feature. I've only tried it briefly on Arch, and uh, on Arch, uh, it's only available in the AUR, but because from the AUR it has to be compiled, it pulled like 400 megabytes of dependencies because it's written in Haskell, and I didn't have any Haskell packages uh, installed. So keep that in mind. I think it's also available from the FlatHub, which might be the most convenient way, and I think it's in the Fedora repos. I'm not sure if I will be using it just because I'm not using GNOME on my desktop and that's the only system I have multiple displays on. But it's uh, it's something that I'm surprised GNOME doesn't have by default. Because it, even Windows has that. It seems like a very basic feature.
4: I wonder, though, if, if it's just not enough people running multiple monitors to make it.
2: Uh, but but at the same time, GNOME has really good support for multiple monitors.
4: Yeah, they do. That's true.
2: They're one of the best when it comes to, among the DS, when it comes to multiple display support. So it's weird.
0: Okay, moving on to announcements. Our next episode is at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on January 23rd, 2022. We have a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Our next live stream will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on well not january 23rd it's going to be on uh january 15th at 2 p.m and you can also get that converted to your time zone and on to the wrap-up and um if you want to hear more of me joe you can catch me on a couple of the other shows that i'm on that's the linux link tech show which is at tllts.org or uh the linux lugcast which you can find linuxlugcast.com you can find me on We. You can send me an email directly jb at mintcast.org i really appreciate those emails um, um either they make it onto the show or if you ask me not to i will respond to them or you can buy me a coffee using the link in the show notes and then josh hawk who wasn't able to be on the show tonight you can catch him at josh on at mintcast.org at Josh on Tech on Twitter, and most other social sites. Or you can listen to him on Crowbar Colonel Panic. Norbert, how about you?
2: You can send me an email at norbert at mintcast.org.
0: Okay, and then the other, 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 other Josh, you can catch him at jt at mintcast.org, Josh Thacker on Discord, and at Metal underscore Foss on Twitter. Nishant?
1: Oh, uh, you can always email me at, at org or contact me on Discord. And if you want to play games, or I'm always available on Steam, and the credentials are on these show notes.
3: Boss? Oh, gotta wake up. Hang on. Um, you can reach me at bardmoss at pm.me. You can hear me on Distro Huppers Digest and Full Circle Weekly News, links in the show notes. And you can find more contact information for me on https://itsmoss.com. And Bill.
4: Yeah, uh, so you can email me at bill at mincast.org. I'm at wchauser 3 on Twitter and uh, Bill underscore H on Discord. I'm on the Facebook too, but nobody uses that anymore, so whatever.
0: Okay, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. That would be Norbert for our audio editing, Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, uh, Hobstar for our logo, Uh, initrd for the animated discord logo and londoner for our time sync bytemark hosting for hosting mincast.org and our backup mumble server archive.org for hosting our audio files and mike for being awesome Uh, the linux mid development team for the fine distro we love to talk about thanks Thanks, fam This has been another episode of the MintCast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both MintCast and Linux Mint on Twitter at MintCast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco podcastthemes.com for our theme music and thanks for
3: listening to this episode of The Newcast.